Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are holy. By your very presence in our life, you make us better. By the generosity of your son, Jesus, you fill our hearts with joy. And in this generosity journey that we live as your children, that you would find joy in us because of the way that we give our lives like you did for the sake of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Public service announcement, this opening illustration may not work. I thought it was going to be great. The 8 o'clock worshipers, by their expressions and their dis-ease, clearly received it a different way. However, I am committed. I think I can pull this off. Let's talk about dentists. Possible? Possible? Can I do this? You know, when I was a little kid, Dr. Tibbet was his name. And I was a little tiny kid. I wasn't like this small, but just to give you a visual, I was a tiny kid. And, and you know, the world was a big place. And when I went in to see Dr. Tibbet, who was the premier dentist of Morris, Illinois, and when I had to get a cavity filled, I would go into his office. He was like 6'9". I'm not actually sure about that height, but from my vantage point, he was like Shaquille O'Neal. And uh, I would go in and buy this massive um, turquoise blue, remember the 1970s? Turquoise blue chair, the dentist chair, that was huge. And, um, and there would be a tray by the dentist chair. And you know what was on that tray, don't you? For a little boy who had a lot of sugar and ate a lot of sugar all the time. That was where my ADHD started, by the way. It wasn't a biological thing, it was because I just ate sugar. Anyways, um, I would go in there, and on that little tray was all the dental equipment. And, and I wouldn't be into his office before I was trying to go the other direction. And um, because it wasn't that it was just dental equipment, it was dental equipment that was huge. I mean, the shot that the Novocaine comes in is like that big. I mean, compared to me, who was only that big, as I told you earlier, this is how big it was. And the thing about it is, and Dr. Tibbet was great. His, his wife was a nurse. She was the school nurse. Everybody loved Wilma. Nobody liked Les, the doctor, because of the Novocaine. And, and so anyways, I'd go in, and, and Dr. Tibbet was, was, was nice enough. But this was back in the day where... In America, we seem to be just a little bit more resolute, a little bit more stronger as a nation. And you know, it's, you got a cavity, you're going to have to pay the price. And, and this is where you come for judgment, okay? And, and I would lay down there in the chair with the tools of death sitting right over my left shoulder. And he would pick one of those little fingers up, you know, the shots that are this long. Remember, it was this long before, but now it's this long. And I mean, without missing a beat... He'd just be like, open my mouth, and, and this is going to pinch a little. <laughs> and in and go. And, and I would stiffen out like a board. And about three hours later, I'd wake up on the couch in my house. No, it wasn't that bad. But, but that's how it was. And, and I thought, that wasn't a pinch. That was a bloodletting. And, and so there was that. Well, then, fast forward now. St. Louis, Missouri, in my 30s and my 40s, we go to meet Dr. Eric Emery. He's a teacher at the Alton Dental School in Alton, Illinois. That means he's pretty smart. And the first time when I went in to meet Dr. Emery, oh, you got cavities? Oh, God. 
Okay, got to go get them filled. All right. So I walk in. It's just a lovely little place. There's a chair, no doubt about it, everything, cabinets. Scott, how are you doing? Doing great, Dr. Emery. How are you? Great. How's your church? Hey, I heard you like golf. I see that's a golf show. You like golf? Yeah, I like golf. Yeah. How's your wife and kids? Saw your kids the other day. Boy, they're getting big. Yeah, they're getting big. How, how much longer is it? Am, am I paying you for this time right now? Because this is like, can we get this going? And he sits down and, and you know, and, and he's just talking to me like this far away, which is a little discomforting for me, but it's okay. You know, we're just having a conversation. He's my doctor. And, you know, now I, he goes, I'm just going to take this little Q-tip. You want to feel it, Scott? And I go, well, no, not really, but I guess it's a Q-tip. Yeah, that's a Q-tip. Because I'm just going to put some numbing agent inside. It's, just, it's not going to hurt at all, okay? Just, hey, it numbs, you know, the whole mouth. Okay, great. And then he, more talking. I'm like, oh, my gosh, stop talking already. And then the nurse comes behind him. And, and I realize something's not kosher here. <laughs> now, I haven't seen anything yet. And all of a sudden, he's talking, and, you know, he, he starts grabbing at my mouth, which is fine. There's no problem there. And he says, now this is going to pinch a little bit. <laughs> and, and now, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, you're right. You, this, I'm, this illustration is going way too long, but at this point. And so I'm laying there, and out of the blue, he now has the shot in his hand. And he comes over the top in a way that I cannot see. And this is going to pinch a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know how the dentist do it now? He's shaking my cheek. I'm like, uh, 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 and it's over. And it felt a little. But the first time he did it, I'm like, wow, you're good. I'm going to get you a gift card at Christmas. Now, I go into that extended illustration, first of all, so that you'd actually stick with me. The 8 o'clockers stopped listening at this point in time. Um, but I, I give you that illustration because today I want to talk about the next step in our generosity journey. It's the second word up on the screen, sacrificial or sacrifice. And when we think about generosity, here's the big idea for today. Generosity, if it's true Christian generosity, always is going to pinch. Um, it, it, it could be like Dr. Les Tibbet. And it could pinch a lot so that you go stiff as a board and pray, pray to God that he just takes you to the next life. Um, it, it could pinch just a little. You still know that the procedure is happening, but it's not nearly as painful as it could have been. And uh, today, as we think about this generosity journey, I want to take you into the scene of the temple, which is very short. It's a very short little narrative Jesus in the temple with his disciples seeing uh, two classes of people. It's a class statement for sure. Um, there are those who are not necessarily rich, but they are giving from their surplus. And then there is a single widow. She's giving from her poverty. This is a uh, a story about two classes of people. But the classes are not divided between the poor and the rich. That's the first point I need to make today. It's a story about those who are living from their surplus in their generosity journey. And one 
the relatively few represented by her who are giving from a place of a real, true, deeply felt pinch. It just so happened that at that point in time, little did any of them know as those coins were clanking in the bottom of the copper kettles, the Lord of the temple was present. And they were being watched. And they were being judged. And again, just to underscore, they were not being judged by the quantity of what was going into the kettles. The quantity of the kettle was inconsequential. Ultimately, it was the quality of the heart that Jesus Christ, the Lord who knows all things and knows the deep hearts of men and women, it was the Lord who was taking stock of that quality of generosity. That is the focus of the story that's before us this morning. You see, when the widow gave, there was a clear and obvious pinch to her generosity. When everybody else was doing what they were doing, there was relatively little or at least insignificant enough for the Lord to call it out. There was relatively little pinch. The invitation from this story to us today is that when it comes to the quality of our generosity, when it comes to the sacrificial nature of who we are as Christians who are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him, when it comes to that sacrificial quality, the question is, do you feel the pinch? What is the pinch of your generosity journey today? That's the real question. One of the invitations of these kinds of stories is that there is to be movement. And there is to be a little bit of wonder behind the story. I, I just note this for you. This story is really only about three or four lines long. It's very short. And in that shortness, in the Hebrew tradition, it invites you to wonder, I wonder what the backstory was. I wonder what the backstory was because while the widow is giving two coins today, I wonder what it was four weeks ago. I wonder if four weeks ago she was still giving two coins or maybe that was right when her husband died and at that point in time she was only giving one coin because that was the pinch that she could not overcome at that point in time. But four weeks on, she had seen how the Lord had cared for her to this point. She's still coming to church, by the way. Did you notice that? The widow's still coming to church. She has nothing in widow kind of theology. The widow has nothing to cling to now. She is adrift in this world. Without her family and friends caring for her, she is stuck. But she's still coming to church. And now she gives two coins. And, and for many of us, in hearing this story, reading this story, maybe over the course of a lifetime, we've just received it as a static story. Okay, there's people giving a lot of money, there's her giving too. But we forget there's a life journey here. She herself and everybody else in that temple is on a generosity journey of their own. 
Which makes me wonder whether or not in week 7 or 8 or 12 or 2 years down the road, whatever it is, I wonder if at that point in time she's going to get to 3. Or maybe life circumstances change and because she is losing the joy of generosity, which we'll talk about next week when we consecrate our gifts to the Lord, um, maybe she has to go back to one for a season. And I wonder about everybody else in that temple as well. With the ease with which they are going about their life in this great temple, which is, as we recall, temple theology now, the temple of God was to be a gathering place for the worship of the Almighty God. Uh, check. It was to be a place where our sins were forgiven and found sacrifice in the lambs that were being slain. It, it was a place of beauty and grandeur. The temple was to be a place where God's glory was revealed to the whole world. And it was a place where all the world, including the Gentiles, the nations, were to come and to gather as a symbol of what that final day of resurrection would look like. That final day of gathering when all the nations, along with the, the covenant nation of Israel, would be gathered to the throne of God. And the loving kindness of God would be revealed in its full measure no longer hidden behind the building of a temple and the activities contained in it, but now revealed in the very real presence of God for all to see. All of that is taking place, and yet there is a mass of humanity that does not take seriously the gravity of the situation the greatness of the call on their lives to be that covenant people for the surrounding Scottsdale area. I, I mean, Jerusalem area. I did that on purpose. I did. I did that on purpose. That was not a mistake. Right? And, and, so, and so this is the scene that's being set. And, and the invitation is for you to go in there. And of course, when you have two um, two groups, two classes, two um, characters lined up in the story. The, the heart question is, which one do you line up with more? The widow or the rest? It's a tough question. And what's my calling as a pastor? Well, in preaching this, my calling is for you to remember that every story, every miracle, every parable that Jesus tells is a wink toward the final act of the play. And the sacrifice that he blesses this widow of making is a sacrifice which is a pointer to the greater outpouring of God's generosity for you and for me. You see, we can't be sacrificial in our generosity journey. We can't exhibit true sacrifice until we have come front and center with the sacrifice of Jesus, God's Son for our sins. And because of that, because in some way the widow understood the generosity of God, not yet in the sacrifice of Jesus, but in the sacrifice of his dignity in welcoming and receiving sinners through the whole history of Israel in the Old Testament. Because this widow knew in some way the generous sacrifice of God in the giving away of his dignity, his still being willing to walk with humanity, his covenant promises still standing, sure, 
This widow was able to come into that temple and give from her poverty while everybody else walked around giving from their surplus. And when the Lord of the temple saw the gift of the widow, he said, that's my child. That represents me. That anticipates what I'm going to do. And that's something to behold. We might not have been standing in the temple then. My brothers and sisters, we are meant to stand in the temple now. And for me to ask you about your own generosity journey today. To remind you as I did our children and I reminded you earlier, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. And the quality of the gift is always judged by the level of pinch in us. When Renee and I started our generosity journey, we got out of seminary, we got our first paycheck, we had to make a decision. We knew we were going to give something to the Lord. We had debt. We had other things that were pressing against us. In our conversation of prayer, we had to decide what is that place of pinch where we are giving sacrificially, but I'm not lying in a dentist chair, rocked like a board because someone just jabbed me with a nine-foot syringe of Novocaine. It got larger. I know it got larger, but it was big. It, I'm so small. So we had to decide that. Um, but as time changes, and uh, my income increases, and Renee got a job, and our kids became a little less costly. Well, actually, I got two kids in college. I'm broke. What am I talking about? But the larger point doesn't matter. But the larger point is, is that life moves, right? The widow was widowed on one particular day, but then she walked with the Lord for weeks, months, years, perhaps after. And every moment of that journey that, that God invites us to live with great generosity is a moment to reconsider, am I living beyond the pinch? Am I giving from my surplus? And if, 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 if a point of comfort comes, that's where we have to be able to say, okay, maybe, maybe we need to review the quality of sacrifice in our generosity. Now, I'm giving the example of, of financial generosity. I don't want to uh, uh, shy away from that, certainly, but I also recognize what? We are uh, seven, 13 days away from Thanksgiving. And as I mentioned last week, and as I like to do in the months of November, because I know it's true in my family and your families, sometimes a family member comes into your home that, theologically speaking, drives you bonkers. And uh, you know who that family member is perhaps. And at the very least, if they're not going to come into your home, you're going to have to make a phone call or at least say hello over Facebook. You know, hi, hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. And the question for me is, what's the quality of your preparation and, and what are you willing to sacrifice? Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to say sorry first. They, they need to apologize. I'm not going to make the first step. It wasn't my fault in the first place, uh, you know. They're the ones that hit me with their NFL football helmet. I didn't do anything while I was on the ground grabbing their face masks and whacking them into the ground. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, ref. Yeah, you know, so this is where, again, these, these conversations go way beyond money, offerings in church. This goes to the very heart of who we are as Christians who follow a God who has made himself available to us with such generosity, a human mind cannot even conceive it yet. And therefore, how do we respond incrementally, in steps, 
with the generous journey that we are on. We have a lot of stuff to do here at Shepherd. It has been a great run. And uh, I again just encourage you to realize that Pastor Seidler, Pastor Allen, we are not the church. You are the church. Um, uh, th this, this dazzling personality that may stand before you and do curbside greeting, um, it, is, it is matched and exceeded, frankly, by every last one of you. Because I will tell you this, generally speaking, your neighbors have no idea who I am. But they do know another Christian from this church, and that's you. And you have the opportunity this week to walk across the driveway, scale the wall, whatever, you know, divides up here in, in Phoenix. There's walls everywhere. But you are the one who has to overcome those kinds of walls, and by your doing so, show the quality of your heart, the initiative in your soul to get after this generosity journey for the sake of Jesus. This is what makes it fun. And what makes it real fun is when you come up to me and you say, Pastor, I'd like to introduce you to one of my neighbors. Oh, man, so good, so good. How about that? And the reason why they came as you and the reason why they stay as you and the reason why they, they go to heaven is because you reached out and said, hey, why don't you come and check out my church? There's new stuff going on here, good stuff going on here. This is all part of the generosity journey. Next week, by the way, um, we're going to have an act of consecration. I'm going to take this announcement right now and, and, and retrieve it from the announcements in a little while. But you're, uh, if you're a member of our church, you're going to be getting a letter in the mail with a consecration card. There, there may be some consecration cards in front of you in the, in the seat racks there. And, um, um, but the consecration card, if, if you don't have it in front of you, is, is simply a little card. And it asks this question. Over this generosity journey, this month of November, how has your generosity journey changed? intentionally sacrificially or joyfully that's not a quantity question i'm not asking for you to tell me here or tell the church how much you are pledging to give financially over the course of the next year this is not a pledge card uh, uh, exercise this is an anecdotal exercise i want to hear from you a story about how this month you've been challenged intentionally sacrificially or joyfully to look differently at your life in terms of your life generosity I want to be able to assemble these cards. I don't even need your name, frankly. I want to assemble these cards, and I want to create for us a storyboard of how this congregation's generosity is in flux, is in motion. Because if we're a church, our generosity should always be in motion. There should always be that slight pinch that says to us healing is happening and life is being restored. And the ability to go out into this world and make a difference, be purposeful, no matter how young or old we are. That's what this is all about. And so we want to consecrate next week our generosity journey once again to the Lord. And it's going to become a regular habit here at Shepherd. Every year in the month of November, a month you know, carved out in our civil uh, calendar to be uh, grateful and uh, thankful for all that we've received, November is Generosity Month at Shepherd. And every year, we're going to review where it is in this generosity journey because if one thing comes from this story, this is it. There were more people in the temple who were giving out of thoughtlessness and surplus. And there was only one that Jesus noticed who gave from her poverty, felt the pinch in her generosity journey. That is stunning.
And it should speak and challenge each and every one of us who live under the banner of God's generosity in Jesus. Amen? Amen.